All right. Preparados? We prepared to hear God's word here? Uh, if, you're, if you're visiting, my name is Peter. Thank you for joining us, really. I serve as our lead pastor, and coming to a new place is a big deal. So thank you very much. And it is uh, a new series that we start today. I'm excited. A series called The Good News. Now, if you've been awake this summer at all, you've heard some of the bad news. I mean, unless, unless your head's been in the sand, and you know what? I've wanted to stick my head in the sand. I mean, a lot of the bad news this summer is really just, uh, I've struggled for it not to weigh, weigh me down emotionally, uh, to become enraged by it, polarized by it, politicized by it, desensitized by it. There's a lot of bad news. But have you heard the good news? I mean, come on. If not, you need to hear it. If you have heard the good news, you need to hear it. And this month, we're taking some special time to reaffirm our church's foundation on the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's really important. And we want you to not only hear it and know that the good news is the only thing that can trump the bad news, but we want you to get good at preaching it to yourself. It was Westminster Chaplain uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones who once said that, as humans, much of our despair is a result of listening to ourselves more than talking to ourselves. You see, we need to get better at preaching the good news to ourselves, lest we, are, lest we just isolate ourselves for the bad news to preach itself to us through our thoughts or through the news stations. We need to get good at preaching it. So whether this is your first time hearing the good news or your thousandth time hearing the good news, I pray that God would give you new strength to cherish it yet again and to have new anointing to apply and preach the good news to areas of your life and heart that it still needs to be preached to. Amen? Can you stand to your feet with me to honor God's word? We're in Romans chapter 6, the very last verse of Romans chapter 6, and that is verse 23. Romans 6 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, I promise you that it would be your turn to preach, and so here we go. We're going to say that again together. Ready? Go with me. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but... The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thank you so much. You can be seated. Y'all preach with some anointing there. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for your good news. Holy Spirit, grant us ears to hear and tongues to preach with new anointing and power the good news. Amen. Romans 6.23 This is going to be our only verse today. We're going to walk through this verse one word at a time. Can we bring that back up? We can just leave it up pretty much the whole time. One word at a time, we're going to go through this verse, Romans 6, 23. And by the end of this service, I pray that you wouldn't just memorize this verse, but you would step into a new season of your life where you are preaching this verse, preaching the good news to areas, areas of your life that need to be preached to, to your finances, to your marriage, to your future, to your family, to your work stresses, the good news in a, in a new season of your anointing and preaching. So there's high expectations. 
We're, we're all preachers in here. You thought you were just a congregant. No, no. So here we go. One word at a time. For the wages of sin is death. Now let's take that first word. For. For kind of is a transition, a, a, a transition word from what has come before in the first six chapters of Romans and, until now. Now, a little background. We know that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote the, the letter of Romans, which now we have in our, our Bible. is one of the 66 books of the Bible. Paul wrote the, the letter to Romans, this church in Rome, so that he could provide context for the good news of the gospel and the story of creation and redemption and the story of Jesus and give them context to what he believed about the Bible is probably one of the richest uh, expressions of the gospel. And he writes it to the Romans so that they can stand in solidarity with him and help send him on his way to preach the good news to Rome. Now, if you remember about Paul, the apostle Paul, he needed to provide this context with people because he was not famous at this time. He was infamous at this time. He was known as an enemy of the faith that he was preaching. And so to a lot of people, they needed to have some context. Why, why is this guy who used to violently oppress Christians and many Jews who claimed Jesus as the Messiah, why is he coming to us? And so Paul wrote the, the, the letter to the Romans to provide a rich context for the need of the gospel and then the provision of the gospel. And this, this chapter and this very verse, this ending of, the, of this chapter really summarizes what he's already said about the need of the gospel, and, and this right here is the provision of the gospel. And that's why this word for provides so much context for all the things that he opposed before. You see, Paul for a long time thought he was standing with God when he was opposing Christians, but God at one point showed him that he was actually standing against himself. He was standing against the very God he thought he was, he was uh, representing. And at a moment in time, Paul was was shown the sin of his life. He was shown that he was living a lie. How many of you all know that in your life and in mine, one of the greatest blessings that God can give us is to show us that we're living a curse? I said, that's a blessing. Because we don't any longer have to live under the sin and deception of the curse. And that's what happened with Paul. And he switches teams and all of a sudden he's writing letters and giving lots of context. And Romans, the first six chapters leading up to this verse really provides a lot of context for all the things in the story of God that provides the need for the gospel. So I'm going to go back through that. Genesis chapter one. Here we go. Genesis chapter one, God creates the heaven and the earth and he creates men and women in the very last verse, verse 31 of Genesis chapter 1. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. But then about 25, 26 verses later, something very, very bad happened. And it's been happening ever since. In fact, it might be the reason why you got in an argument with your spouse on the way to church today. The very bad thing that happened is contained in Genesis 3. It's, it's sin. It's a story how, how we went in league with the enemy of God, with the devil himself, and we chose his deception, his lie. And in Adam and Eve, we have all sinned and have been sinning and choosing our own selfishness since. That's the bad news. That's sin. And really, the rest of this Bible is an outworking of sin and its effects and mankind's futile attempts to put a band-aid on the sin and death in the world. 
And so Paul gives a context for that. And he says, for, and that links us, that word for links us to all the things that he's covered that summarizes what he said about all the sin in all humanity. And because of sin, the wrath of God, as Romans said, is poured out on all humanity. Now, the wrath of God is something that's important to understand. Not often does the wrath of God get expressed actively, where God comes against his people a few times and against nations that are explicitly oppressing his people. Most often, the wrath of God, because of sin, is God's passive wrath. It's God turning us over to ourselves. It's letting us do what we want, or as we covered in the book of Judges, letting us do what's right in our own eyes. The wrath of God is letting us do what we want and suffer the consequences, and that's really the story of humanity. That's why there is such a great need for the good news, because there's a lot of bad news, and that's why this word for is there. For the wages of sin is death. Now, let's talk about this word wages. Wages. What is a wage? Anyone just throw it out there. It was participatory. A wage. A payment, right? The, the payment. If you work a certain amount of hours, you have a certain wage times that many hours. It's something that's owed to you. God is a loving God. You need to know that. But God is also just. And God will justly give you the wage that you've earned. And so it says here, the wage of sin. What is sin? You know, all humanity, we, we have a different uh, take on what, what sin is, and different people have different opinions about sin. But listen, pretty much all, virtually all worldviews believe that sin is something, that literally there's something wrong with hum- humanity that needs to be made right. Everyone on earth pretty much believes that something's wrong, and specifically that we are all collectively a part of that wrongness. Some of us call it sin, and some of, it define, some of us define sin by certain standards, like the Bible. But the thing is, is that something's wrong. And part of that wrongness is the inherent uh, uh, pattern that we all have, the habit that we like to blame the wrongness on other people, other things, other governments, other races, and lots of history. We like to deflect the blame and... and the, the reality, though, is, is that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God, it says elsewhere in the book of Romans. Something is wrong. Sin is wrong with humanity. The wages of sin or the payment of sin is death. And listen, it's not just the payment of some sins. Like God kind of just overlooks some sin, says, oh, that's silly. And in another sin, like the sin that we hate the most, He's going to go punish that. No, the wages of all sin collectively is death. This word death is important. Death is the collective result of all sin. In other words, all death, all sin contributes to all of the death in the world. All of the sin in the world contributes to all of the death in the world. So you might say, how am I responsible for someone else's sin? Now think, think of, for instance, think of like when you think of the word sinner, like who's that villain that comes up in your mind that's like the worst sinner? Don't say his or her name. It's too easy right now in election season. But who's that villain that comes up in your mind, right? Listen, you're a part of the same system. That person's sin is linked to your sin, and all of us collectively contribute to that same sin and the same reward justly given of death. It's the same system. Let me illustrate how 
even though maybe I might see my sin as small and someone else's sin as great, how it's all a part of the same sin and the same death. Let's just use the, the sin of greed as an example to illustrate this. A little greed perhaps in me, of course, I like to think of my greed as a little and someone else's a lot, right? But let's just go there for a second. A little bit of my greed and a lot of bit of someone else's greed produces collectively an overwhelming amount of greed in general, creating a really a prevailing environment where most people in general look out for what's best for them as opposed to what's good in other people and the needs of other people. And so we generally tend to compete rather than collaborate, all of us in general. And when there's a need in a, in a truly dependent person in this environment, that person is most often, that need is most often let unmet, which leads to disparity and poverty and death. The wages of sin is death. And look, even if I'm not 100% responsible for all of the global greed and death in the world, I am 100% responsible for my part. And that's the point about greed or anything else. And what makes it worse is this tendency that we have. That we, like for greed for instance, we are so generous to ourselves and despairing to others. Where we will, we will notice so much when someone else doesn't look out. But we will look back on that, that moment where there's, uh, in that, that there's a small break in that digression from greed to death. There's a small moment of charity in, in our disposition. And we'll remember that. We'll remember our good deed. And we'll look upon others. And that's more, more prevailing greed and death that's perpetuated instead of actual solutions. You see, selfishness is in our whole system. It's in me. It's really a disease in all of humanity, and it leads to death. And that's why, in another example, a little bit of lust contributes to all the objectification of women, for instance. Or or let's talk about mistrust. A little bit of mistrust. And maybe there's, I might see, good reasons if someone hurts me. Good reasons to put up emotional walls and have, have self-protection be my prevailing uh, savior as opposed to God. Maybe there's a little mistrust that balloons into walls and enmity and alienation and fear. And then to brutality and then to retaliation and then more fear and more mistrust. And you see where I'm going. See, we're all responsible for it. And the wages of all this sin is death. Your sin, my sin, our sin is all of our collective death. And that's a lot of the bad news that you've seen on TV. It's all of us a part of it. It's not this group or that group. It's really all of us. The wages of sin is death. But, but, you see, we have failed to get to God and to remedy this problem. But God has come to us. And you need to know that in all the worldviews, all the religions, all the faiths out there, this, our faith is the only faith with this sort of but. But God has come to us. But have you heard the good news? See, the free gift is the good news. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift. See, what's the difference between a wage and a gift? I asked this a few days ago to a, a friend of mine, 
And he said, well, a wage is earned, but a gift is given. A gift is, a wage is, is, has to be paid for. And actually, that's not quite right. I'm not, I'm not going to correct little words, but you need to know that a gift is paid for too. In fact, it's a higher price in this case. Both things are paid for, but the difference is, is a wage is paid for and earned by me versus a gift can only be paid for and earned by a benefactor and given to the beneficiary. And our only option with the, this type of gift is to be the beneficiary. And you know what? As much as this seems like, oh, this is, a good, this is good news, you know what? A lot of people struggle and are offended by this sort of good news. You see, in all of history, since Jesus was resurrected, and even to this day, especially in good old America, we struggle with this scandalous thing called a free gift. And why is that? Because it's because we want to earn it. I mean, let's think about our country. We are Americans. We are born of industry here. We want to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, if that's still a thing. Is that still a thing? I'm going to still use that. We want to earn it. We want, we want to be the benefactors, not the beneficiaries. We want to earn it. And so this idea of, of free gift really smacks at my pride. See, I don't want to be on welfare on earth, so why would I want to be on welfare in heaven? That's the pride that causes a disdain for the free gift in so many ways when actually applied to human lives. And so I try to earn God's favor. I try to save myself. I try to be my own savior. And really, this, this attitude is, is really a picture of what you see in the middle of this whole book where something has gone seriously wrong with humanity and with God's people. And there's all these religious things that are done to try to remedy the, the, the bad news and to, to put some religious rules around the bad news and maybe I can fix it. But really, it's just band-aids on blood-deep issues of sin and death. And it causes more sin. Even our good deeds are like filthy rags before the Lord, the Bible says. Our good religious stuff that we do tends to be more sin and more death. And I'm not really just talking about the people in this book. Think about your own life. What's been a time in your life where you've tried to improve yourself and really have just made things worse? This happens in so many different ways. So my wife's a dietitian, and she, she talks about how much dieting hurts people. It's another message. But how many times have I looked at my life where man-centered solutions to spiritual or deeper problems only create worse problems, more sin and more death? So much like our life. You know, I, uh, about five, six years ago, I was shaving. And we, at the time, we only had one child. Our oldest daughter, Hadassah, was one, maybe almost two years old. And uh, she, she walked in and saw me shaving. This is the first time she's seen all the shaving cream on my face. And a, an amazing thing happened. She stopped talking for a second, and she sat down and just started watching. And if you know my daughter, when she stops talking, that's a big deal. She just started watching, all fascinated. And at one point, I shaved, and a plop of shaving cream fell onto the tile. And she jumps up and says, I help. And so she wants to go clean it up. And she, when she goes to clean it up, it just spreads it all around. And she says, I fix it. And then so she goes into it with her other hand and tries to clean it up with the other hand. And it just spreads and gets worse and worse. And how much is that like our sin? 
we attempt to clean ourselves up, to, to make ourselves right with God again, but really we're just spreading sin around. Religious deeds, more sin and more death. You see, when we try to save ourselves, we're really, in essence, explicitly rejecting our Savior. The gospel is not just some, some thing that applies to us at some one service when we first become a Christian. The good news is something that we are supposed to rely on, depend on, celebrate for all of our life. The free gift. The free gift of God. So here's the difference. You can't give this free gift to yourself. You can't earn it. No one can. It has to be from God. God is the one who is owed the eternal debt. He is the one who justly gives the wage of eternal death. And he is the only one, therefore, who can absolve the debt owed and to give the free gift. He's the only one with, with enough in his account to afford it. All of us have deficient funds. It's because it's an eternal, infinite price. The free gift of eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, only God could pay for it, is eternal life. Think about eternal life for a second. I mean, that first word, eternal, man, that, that one will just blow my mind right up. I mean, forever. Think about forever. You know how long it's going to take you to figure out how, what that means? Forever. That's, that's a struggle for me. But let's just talk about life, for instance. Let's talk about the qualitative difference for a moment between life and death. And let's use the, the difference between greed for a second. If a little bit of greed leads to an eternal, implicit, collective death, then one sacrifice of life of Jesus and his getting up out of the grave on the third day is a seed that leads to an eternity of joy and pleasure and generosity towards us who can receive it. An exhilaration and a life that is a joy that nothing on this life can satisfy. I mean, our five senses are just but a foreshadowing of the the type of experience that we're going to have forever and ever and ever, if you know Jesus, and experiencing and enjoying how wonderful and inexplicably great he is. It's life. And life is something that, that really infects the joy of every part of your existence. Eternal life is something that starts right now, and it's an experience that, can, can, that doesn't just start one when you die, but it's an experience that overtakes you now and never stops. And that's why, for instance, when we talk about the gospel, the gospel, again, is not just some, uh, something that you graduate from and go into something else. The gospel is something that relates to every area of your life. And there is no thing in your life that is not a gospel thing. There is no thing in your life that is not a life and death thing for all eternity. I'll give you an example. No one in here ultimately has marriage problems. What we have is a struggle to apply the good news to our marriage into our relationships, into the depth of our true unity with our spouse, to the exclusion of all others. We don't have marriage problems. None of us in here ultimately has financial problems either. What we have is a struggle to trust and celebrate the perfect giver of the free gift who richly gives all things with Christ. And we have a struggle to live and to give as though the good news is really good news. 
And and none of us ultimately have uh, relationship problems in here. What we have is a struggle to allow his eternal love to steady us and to secure us so that we can be whole in him and not lacking anything and needing anyone else to fill us in any other way. And that's why we can project a solidarity with other people that sin against us and who are every bit as in need of forgiveness and patience as we are. See, everything is a gospel thing. And with Jesus, there is eternal peace and adventure and thrill and exhilaration and joy. And it's an eternal thing that absolutely overrides all of the earthly things starting now. It's a gospel thing. This leads to our our last few words, some of our last words. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. You know, Jesus is the only one who can bridge the gap between eternal death earned, and eternal life freely given. You see, he is fully God and yet fully man. In all of eternity, Jesus has existed as God the Son. And in a moment in time, he put on flesh. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, and he came and was fully human, although in his humanity, he he remained fully perfect and fully God. It's a mystery. That's who Jesus is. And that's why we say with our, our, our gospel creed, the gospel is the good news, that God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life that we should have lived, and he died the death that we should have died in our place. And on the third day, a Sunday morning a while back, he rose from the dead, proving that he is God, and gaining the power to offer salvation to anyone who would repent, to turn, to repent and receive the good news. That's the gospel. The free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. And you know what? This is exclusive language. Now I've heard people say before, how is it? How is it that you can say Jesus is the only way to heaven? That he's the only one who can save us. That's exclusive language. And I like to use more inclusive language. Well, I want to respond to these things, but I'm too busy getting caught up with the first question. How is it that there's anyone like Jesus to save me in the first place when I deserve nothing like that? How is it that there's someone like him that exists at all? He's not too good to be true. He's too good to reject. How is it that there's anyone like Jesus? And let's talk about inclusiveness for a minute exclusively Jesus has the power to actually include people that are bound by eternal death into eternal life. No one besides Jesus. Only he by his perfect life, his atoning work in death, his resurrecting power has the power to draw in those who are bound by death into eternal life forever and ever and ever. Only Jesus. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And please don't miss these last two precious words. It would be a tragic fail if we didn't understand how important these last words, our Lord, were. You see, until I was 14 years old, I was, I was a religious kid. I went to church here and there. I, I believed things about God, but I did not have a vibrant faith in God. And this was proven by the life that I lived, a perversion and greed and lust. And I was just a normal teenage kid. And all the while, I, I tried to improve myself. You know, I, I went to church and, and tried some rules to better myself, especially if it made me better in baseball. Uh, I went to Easter service, 
And I mean, almost every year I went to the Catholic Mass uh, on, on Christmas, and sometimes I was even sober on Christmas Masses. And I really, I tried to improve myself. I really tried to be a good kid. But really, this was just, again, more sin and more death. And you need to know that I believed all the while that Jesus was the Lord. But I honestly couldn't say and clearly could not demonstrate that Jesus was my Lord. He wasn't. I was living for myself and for the devil. And I was deceived about those things. But then in a moment in in time, September 18th, 1997, I was led to Christ by a very persistent and aggressively loving campus ministry. And from that point forward and from now on, I've been able to celebrate eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, there's a difference between a gift offered and a gift received. There's, a, there's an important distinction. And think about that for a second. Think about the gift. Think about Christmas. You receive a gift at Christmas. At, at what point does that gift become yours? Is it when it's purchased? No. Is it, is it when uh, it's wrapped up? Or, or when, uh, when, how about when you are actively involved in being aware of it? When you see your name on the label and you read it? No, I mean, it's when you open the gift, that it becomes yours. I had memorized things on the package for years without actually opening it. And when Jesus looks at the world today, and when he sees all the misdiagnoses of all the problems and, and the rage back and forth, what he sees ultimately, and what he sees even with us, is some unopened gifts. And right now is a moment that he's going to allow by his spirit for us to really open the gift, the good news, and faith. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, some people right here, right now, like I grew up, have heard things about you and yet cannot in this moment truly say that that. They belong to you, that you are their Lord and Savior. Lord, I'm asking for help. I'm asking for help for you to draw people to a place of knowing their need for you. If that's you, even while we're praying right now, I, I don't want to embarrass you, but I want to give you a chance to take a step of faith, that God responds to faith. He responds to your affirmation. And, and like in a wedding where there is a, a, a moment where each, each person, the bride and the groom, has to say in faith, has to speak the words, I do, you need to know that Jesus has already said, I'm all in here. He said it on the cross for hours as he died. And he said it when he rose again from the dead. He's already committed his life to you. And this is your moment, and I don't want to embarrass you, but if you have never fully and finally given your life to him, and right now is your moment, I want to pray with you, and I want to see your hand if that's you. If you're saying, Jesus, I want to fully give my life to you, just raise your hand, and I'm going to pray with you. I'll see you. God will see you.
Thank you. Anyone else? Lord, thank you for these hands and for these hearts, and thank you for your good news. Thank you for life and abundant life. Help us to apply your good news to our lives so that we would override the bad news. In your name, amen.